0: Welcome to the Naval Air Podcast. My name is Mike, and I'll be your host. Okay, so we have got to the point of where we're going to talk about deployment, or as I like to make the disclaimer, or the qualification rather, deployment that I went through, the deployment, what the deployment scenario was for the LAMPS Mark One community in the mid-80s. The Lamps Mark One community flying the SH-2F Sea Sprite helicopter. Now, I'm going to. What am I going to do? Okay, the. You might be wondering. I think I. I'm pretty sure I covered it before, but you might be wondering exactly what the thought process or what the standard development or deployment, not deployment dispersion of assets, let's put it that way, that the Navy was doing at that time frame. At that time frame, when uh, most naval deployments were centered around uh, carrier battle group, aircraft carrier battle group, also sometimes affectionately referred to as CVBG, carrier vessel battle group. All right. Um, And a battle group had a carrier, it typically also had some sort of supply ship oil or replenishment vessel of some some sort. It had a cruiser. Cruisers are smaller ships. Cruisers main focus of battle or defense depending on your point of view uh, is the air, the anti-air arena. Uh, Typically maybe one or two cruisers, two destroyers for sure. A destroyer uh, they're, they tend to focus on anti-submarine and anti-ship warfare and a couple frigates. Now, typically, these mix of vessels can be various classes of destroyer or frigates. We had, I want to say, we had one Knox-class frigate and one Perry-class frigate in the battle group that we were forming or that we were part of, we had two destroyers. One was a Spruance-class destroyer, and one was my ship, a modified Spruance-class destroyer, also known as a kid-class destroyer. And I want to say our cruiser was the California, uh, and the California was a nuclear-powered cruiser, CGN 36, I think. All right, so some Admiral somewhere via the Chief of Naval Operations. It filters down from somebody on top making a decision that this battle group, and in my case the battle group was Constellation. The Constellation battle group for the Western Pacific deployment that's going to happen in the middle of 1985 or early nineteen eighty, it was February to August, is going to comprise of these ships. And they go tell the guy in charge of the, you know, there's an admiral in charge of the battle group and there's an admiral in charge of the fleet that the battle group gets chopped out of, uh, the Third Fleet, which is the Pacific. The Pacific is covered by the Third Fleet, and the Seventh Fleet. Seventh Fleet is homeported in Japan. Third Fleet is homeported in Hawaii. So when you go into the Western Pacific, into the Indian Ocean and stuff, you become uh, under the auspices of the Seventh Fleet. So anyway, Third Fleet's putting together this battle group. Puts together the ships, and the, the ships belong to the destroyer squadrons. The destroyer squadron reports to a one-star. They used to call them commodores, but now they're rear admiral or half. Anyway, and these people they decide that they need beyond the air wing that deploys on the aircraft carrier, they'll need some other aviation assets for the destroyers, the cruisers, or the frigates, what have you. Okay? So these various ships that belong to the destroyer squadron or whatever make their requests to back up to 3rd Fleet to say, hey, we want this number of helicopters, because that's what we care about. And 3rd Fleet will probably turn and tell one of the people reports to him, which is the commander of Naval Air Force's Pacific Fleet, hey, we need so many helicopters to go on these ships. These ships we're going to give aviation assets to I think in our case it was three ships. The Fletcher, the Callahan, and was it Cromlin? Oh, actually, I can't remember who the... And the, and the squadron was going to be HSL-33. My squadron's going to provide one aircraft. HSL-35, the other LAMPS Mark One squadron, is going to provide an aircraft. And HSL-43, this would be the first operational deployment for the new LAMPS Mark Three, Flying in the H, the SH-60 Bravo... Or SH sixty B, uh, Seahawk. So, you know this comes through. You know, I mean, it filters down from on top down high. That, from on top down high, from on top down to the to the squadrons themselves. Okay, you'll provide a deployment or detachment. That's what we call them: detachments or debts to this air to this ship. Now, if the battle group is going to deploy in February because that's when we deployed they do what's called workups and each ship, part of that battle group has kind of its own workup schedule sometimes all the battle groups do workup stuff together, sometimes they're not and to get ready for those workups, it usually happens Well, in our case, workup started in October of 1984, preparing you know, it's almost you know, it's almost six months ahead of schedule right? um And preparing for deployment in February. So the squadron to get a detachment or a debt ready for October has to put the detachment or debt together before then. To give them time to get their stuff together. Um, When I say stuff I mean material things. When a squadron, when when a LAMPS Mark 1 squadron creates a detachment. uh, They have to assign personnel. And they have to assign you know, tools and publications and all kinds of stuff. So if you listen to some of the other shows, where I talked about working on the line shack, it was late, very late August or very early September when our debt had formed and the two air crewmen that I was to deploy with came out to the line shack and said, oh, you're done here. We've been deaded up. It's time to start. Getting ready to go. Now, so when a squadron puts together a debt or a detachment. Do you think I could not say debt or (laughs) detachment? I'm going to say debt, okay? When I say debt, I mean detachment. All right, so the squadron's putting together a debt. They have to assign an aircraft. And they assign an officer in charge. And that officer in charge is a pilot. And he gets three more pilots. So there's four officers. There's a senior enlisted chief, an E7 or maybe even an E8 depending. And then a mix of enlisted specialties that have their specific areas of expertise. There'll be two dead engine mechanics, uh, two metalsmiths, two electricians, two electronics technicians, and then two air crewmen AWs. Well at that point in squadron history we had a few more AWs than normal, I guess. So instead of two air crewmen, we deployed with three. That was our one little change up from standard practice. So in September, let's call it early September, and maybe even September first, I you know the, the memories have faded. Our debt was put together, and we were HSL thirty three debt eight. Now the debt numbers rotate, okay? The only one that didn't rotate was debt 3. And debt 3 was always forward deployed to to Japan. So they put uh, a letter on the end of it, debt 3A when they when the personnel changed over, then they were debt 3B, three, 3 Alpha, 3 Bravo. Uh, at the time, at that time they were up to debt 3K, three, 3 kilo. I had a friend who's like to say, we're debt 6.6 pounds, right? Three kilos, 6.6 pounds. Anyway, uh, so we were debt eight. And then the next debt to form would be debt nine. And the next debt to form after that might be debt 10 or they might go back to debt one. I don't remember when they reset, but they would go back, you know, at some point, they went back to debt one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, back to one. So we were HSL 33, debt eight. We were formed in late 1984. We had our personnel. I'm not going to go down the names. I might mention them during the course, but you know I haven't had clearance for any of these people to mention them by name. But we had, you know, our four pilots, a lieutenant commander, two lieutenants, a lieutenant junior grade, uh, and an E7 electronics technician, a chief ATC. We had an AX1 and an AT. A-N, AT airmen, those are our two electronics guys. Now, <laughs> our debt changed. Now, before I get into this, our debt changed three. Debt changed personnel like three times. Different people came and went, and our final, our final makeup, yeah, it was an A X one and A T A N for electronics, uh, and an A D two and an A D three. Those are jet engine mechanics an 3 an ae3 and an aean airmen, those are electronic uh, electricians we had a hydraulic metalsmith and a structures metalsmith the structures metalsmith was a first class the hydraulic guy was a second class and then of course the three aws that were to be the air crewmen. all right so we formed and when we formed we're told that we were going to our first short cruise that's part of the workup cycle The ships go on short cruises. They can be anywhere from, you know, three, four days to a month. Just so happens our first short cruise was going to be six weeks. Why so long, you ask? Well, that's because we're going to go some places. Lots of times when you go on a short cruise, you go out into the, you know, the Southern California ocean there. Sometimes you can see land, sometimes you can't, but you're not... Going fire well on this for, first short cruise we're going places we're going to go up to san francisco to participate in the fleet week exercises and then we're going to go out to hawaii to practice anti-submarine warfare there is an a there is a anti-submarine warfare practice range out in hawaii so we we're going to go do that too and then come back to san diego so we're going to get ready for our big six-week short cruise we have basically a month because i think we left on our short cruise the first of october that year and getting ready for deployment beyond getting an aircraft and getting assigned the personnel when a debt is formed they're handed over a set of tools toolboxes they're these big yellow metal cabinets that have a spot for tools that are outlined and marked, so you can you know when you take a toolbox inventory, you know for sure if something is missing. You might be wondering, well, why is that bad if something's missing? Because if something's missing, it's inside an aircraft most likely, and that's bad. You get, if someone loses a tool, all aircraft are down; they're not safe for flight, and every single person takes a flashlight and combs every single helicopter in the squadron with a fine tooth comb looking for that stinking tool. And until it's found, or every helicopter's checked by two or three sets of eyes, well, they allow people to fly again? So it's a serious thing. We're also given some uh, lockers, like foot lockers for uh, publications, our pubs. You know, the pubs are maintenance manuals and well, they're almost all maintenance manuals. Hardly anything else. Maybe some administrative manuals on how to do certain forms or put certain papers together. I don't know. Okay, so... Excuse me. <laughs> I had to take a drink. All right, so we're giving all our stuff. We're giving an aircraft. We got people. So now we start flying. We fly as a debt. And a debt is its own little chain of command. We put out our own flight schedule. We put our own out our own plan of the day. We're given a basically a secured area, which is kinda a cage, in the hangar, the squadron spaces to maintain our tools, maintain our stuff, and it's separate from the squadron. we we'll do our own thing. So which also means we're we don't get any help from the squadron for anything. We have to move the aircraft ourselves. We have to inspect the aircraft. You know, do our daily and turnaround inspections ourselves. All that stuff we do. Just, you know, our little band of dudes. And if you were keeping count, the chief, he really don't do too much. So the two ADs, two. The two um, electricians, four. The two electronics guys, six. The two metalsmiths eight, and then the three AWs, 11. eleven. 12 if you want to count the chief, enlisted people to do the, the labor, manual labor or otherwise, associated with flying an SH-2F C-Sprite helicopter, okay? So, you know, we start doing that. We start doing our maintenance plans, we start doing our stuff, and we basically start forming our bonds and relationships. You know, I don't want to sound girly, but We start forming our team. I mean, yes, we've all been to basic training, and yes, we're all in the same Navy, and yes, we're all in the squadron, and yes, we all pretty kind of know each other because squadrons aren't that big personnel-wise. But now we're going to be working directly with each other for, oh, easily the next eight months. Turns out uh, it was like nine months because we formed, our debt formed in September, and we came back from our deployment in august 26th or 24th so a year we were together for a year working together and when we get on the ship we'll be working together in close quarters so anyway so that's what we have to do so on october 1st we left on our first workup our first short cruise our first deployment well it's not deployment because deployment's when you go these are workups and short cruises and our first short cruise was to Fleet week in San Francisco. Now, we left San Diego and it took two weeks to get there. If a ship left San Diego and steamed straight for San Francisco, I sincerely doubt it would take more than a couple of days. But, you know, we never sail in a straight line. We go out to off the coast of San Diego and do some things and we kind of meander our way up to San Francisco for Fleet Week. And, Fleet Week festivities began on a Friday morning. Oh, as a side little, uh, a little tangent here, the Congress of the United States of America was having a problem approving the budget, the federal budget, which includes the pay for the members of the military. And the federal budget, you know, is due and then is to be ratified by the 1st of October because that is the beginning of the fiscal year for your federal government. Well, they hadn't done that. Also back in that day, uh, payday for us in the military was the 15th and the 30th. It had all been slid to the 15th and the 1st, or people say 1st and the 15th, but what they don't know is it was the 15th and the 30th and it got pushed back to the first one month or one year. That meant, you know, because what it meant is what the month that got pushed back, people only got paid once that month. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, technically just a day later, but they only got paid once that month. And it was one less pay period. I think it was for fiscal year and they able did some budget savings or something. But anyway, so it was 15th and the 30th. So we got paid on September 30th that was the last day of the fiscal year for 1984. This is fiscal year 85 and they haven't approved it. And rumor had been circulating around the ship that if if you know, the Congress didn't approve the federal budget, we wouldn't get paid on October 15th. Which is kind of sad cuz we're getting ready to pull into San Francisco and we want to get paid so we have money to, you know, enjoy the Fleet Week festivities. Yeah, well, back and forth, and who knows? Well, anyway, by the time we got to San Francisco, Congress passed a budget, and we were able to get paid. So now Fleet Week. Fleet Week starts on a Friday or Thursday. I don't remember. But it's a weekday. I know that wasn't a weekend. I want to say Friday. And the battle group, in this case Constellation, and her ships go sailing into San Francisco Harbor underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. Everyone's out there in their dress uniform or manning the rails, Manning the rails means you all stand side by side, a nice straight line, looks looks really cool. We're out there with our helicopter, all nice and shiny, we'd washed it. We sail into San Francisco Harbor for Fleet Week. There's people, at least back then, I don't know about now, now there's you know political controversy surrounding Fleet Week, it's kinda sad. But as we're pulling in, as we're going under the Golden Gate Bridge, the hills on the sides are covered with people and they're yelling and cheering, it's really nice makes you feel warm and welcome and people are patriotic. In uh, The really neat thing was that the ship leading us into San Francisco Harbor that year was the USS San Francisco, a an, an L.A. class uh, submarine. She was on the surface, so we could see her, but she led the whole battle group into uh, Fleet Week for San Francisco. San Francisco Fleet Week was really nice. So we pull into the harbor. Um... Now, we weren't allowed to tie up. The Blue Angels, I don't know if you know, perform for Fleet Week. They do a bang-up job. They perform over the harbor. So you can see them from just about anywhere. And the ships, weren't we weren't allowed to tie up until the air show was over, which is like about 3 o'clock. So then we pull... Now, we were lucky. We were one of two ships that were allowed to tie up near Fisherman's Wharf. Uh, I want to say we tied up at Pier 45. There's the the farthest... I'll uh, be east. The farthest east pier that's, you know, touristy is Pier 39. The actual Fisherman's Wharf area, I think, is Pier 49 or Pier 51, that area. So Pier, uh, pier 45 is, like, right there. So we're, like, in the heart of the tourist area of San Francisco, us and the Fletcher. Uh, so it was cool. Um, I have, I had family, or ha- had, had out there anymore I had family that lived in the San Francisco area at that point so when I got off the ship I'm calling them and I'm you know I want to I'm gonna look look them up because I hadn't seen them for a while and I'll go hang out with them meanwhile everybody else um, was out running out running around town we had to wear our uniforms that day that came down from the the admiral in charge of the battle group that the first day of fleet week when you hit Liberty go ashore you'll be wearing your dress blues so here I am, I call my aunt and uncle, they come get me, I'm here in my dress uniform. Um, the funny thing is they, they had a party to go to that night, so they took me with them to their party, you know, minor, I don't want to say celebrity or, you know, whatever, but I provide a little bit of excitement because, hey, here's my nephew, fresh in, he's in the Navy, here for Fleet Week, you know, yay, you know, thanks for coming to our city. You know, they were all very appreciative. Had a fun time at this party. You know, telling my stories, whatever. Not that a whole lot of stories to tell. You, I'm (laughs) twenty. You know what can I, what can I say? I haven't seen too much yet. It's my first. Gonna be my first, and turns out my only deployment. But had a few flying stories I could tell. It was a fun time. Now, uh, Fleet Week. I want to say lasted four days: Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um, And we're being part of the ship's crew. Holy cow, I skipped a whole, okay, we gotta take on the side tangent real quick before I get into the story. I forgot talking about loading on the ship. The ship's leaving October 1st, this is known. They tell you don't go around telling it because you know, know, ship's movement's supposedly a semi-secret. But one of the things we had to do, you know, I told you about get our aircraft, our personnel, our tools, our pubs, whatever, but we also had to move on to the ship. Okay, so when it's determined what ship we're going to be moving on to, we're given a date to meet the ship at the pier. And the... I want to say it was civilian people, but we're going to move on. what's call our... Oh geez, I forget the term, but there's a term for a deployment pack is what I'm going to call it. And the deployment pack is a set of spare parts that gets moved on to the ship... You know, spare aircraft parts. Things you need to keep the aircraft flying. Now, some of it is tiny. You know, washers and little rubber O-rings and things like that. Some of it's more substantial. You know, generators. You know, hydraulic pumps. Reservoirs, whatever. You know, different stuff. Uh, one rotor blade. I remember we got one rotor blade. Uh, yeah, that you know, that kind of stuff. So think of a big pile of parts that you need to keep an aircraft flying for six months. Uh, You'd think we'd get a spare engine, but we didn't get a spare engine. We got a spare rotor blade, spare tail rotor blades, and just about everything else. Gauges, wire, you you name it, we got it, including consumable items. You know, consumables, you know, oil, hydraulic fluid, this uh, spray can of cleaner, it was waterless... Not waterless cleaner. Uh, waterless hand cleaner, yeah. But it was like scrubbing bubbles is what we called it. It looked like scrubbing bubbles. You spray it on the, air, air, you know, the helicopter and you wipe it off. And the helicopter's clean. It's a... It's a temporary cleaning... If you can't wash the helicopter with soap and water. okay, Because that was the preferred method. This stuff was a stopgap. So now, we had to meet the ship at the pier. And... All these spare parts are in a, a cabinet system, like file cabinet, but wide file cabinet, almost like a like a wide like a rolling toolbox, you know for that you see in automotive shops or whatever. It's, these are cabinets, and the ship had these cabinets built in a space on the ship. So we wouldn't be when we moved on, we can't take the empty cabinets out with a hand truck or a dolly or something and truck the other ones in. Uh, What we ended up doing is the the crane guy would lift the cabinet off the pier onto the flight deck. And what we would do is we'd take the drawers out and in a daisy chain or monkey chain or whatever, take the drawers and swap the full drawers of spare parts with the empty drawers that were already on the ship. And yes, we had to do this again at the other end when we came home. But so that was one of the things. We had to move on to the ship. Uh, we moved our stuff, our personal stuff. Some of our personal. we were showing our rack space that we we're going to live in. That we, that the ship set aside for us. Uh, now, I, you know, see so I never got the impression that a ship being allowed to have an air department, a helicopter detachment. They call it a, the air department. Having an air department was a extra special thing for them. Almost, almost like a point of pride that they'd earned. They through their other deployments and their other cruises, they had done so well. They earned having an air department. I don't know. We were the second uh, helicopter detachment that ship had had in its short four years of life at that point. So for all we know, the powers that be liked this particular ship to have an air department on it. I don't know. So yeah, so we moved on. All right, so now back to San Francisco. Uh, Now that we, since we are a department on the ship, the air department, and since we were considered not part of ship's company, but you know we we're part of the ship's crew. That's a better term. We also had our, we had to participate in the, in the duty sections. If you remember back at the training squadron, duty rotation was one in six. There were six duty sections. At uh, the fleet squadron, it was one in four, and on the ship was also one in four. So that meant out of the four days we were in Fleet Week, one of those days you were going to be on duty, and you would have to be on the ship. Now, that's no big deal because for Fleet Week, being on the ship meant you were giving tours. So it's kind of a drag to be in dress uniform again, hanging around in the in the hangar while tourists and civilians came floating through, and you had to give them the speech about what what cap what extra capabilities the hel- helicopter besides the obvious ones the helicopter brought. Gordair Department brought to the ship. So, Friday night, pull in. I had was able to be with the family party. I think Saturday, well, Saturday or Sunday, one of those days in the weekend, was my duty section, and that was also the day that the ship took a little, like a little Sunday drive. Okay, they they took some civilians on board, and I don't remember if the civilians had some connection, if they were invited. You know, if they knew somebody on the crew, I can't remember how many and how they got to go on this little jaunt. But Saturday or Sunday afternoon, because I can't remember which day it was, the ship pulled away from the pier with civilians and drove kind of around the harbor, drove out underneath the bridge, back out into the ocean, cruised around out there for a bit and came back. It was like two hours. And in that time, the ship demonstrated various capabilities they had. They didn't fire any guns, but they moved the guns around. They moved the missile launchers around. Um, oh, well, here. Here's another tangent. Let me go on. The The ship I was on was USS Callahan. And the USS Callahan was a guided missile destroyer. Like I said, a modified Spruance class destroyer. She was a kid class, DDG-994. And the Callahan now belongs to Taiwan, I think. But the Callahan was modified Spruance. It was a Spruance-class destroyer that was going to be sold to Iran before the Shah of Iran was deposed. And the Navy came along to the shipbuilder and said, we'll buy those ships from you instead of selling them to Iran. And what was modified about these ships is that they had anti-air capabilities instead of just anti-submarine capabilities beyond the standard anti-ship capabilities. Okay. So a Spruance-class destroyer from bow to stern had a five-inch gun, an anti submarine rocket launcher called ASRock. There was two close-in-weapon system defense, the R2-D2 Gatling gun things that were designed, you know, if there's a missile or something inbound to the ship, their job is to put like a cloud of bullets in front of that so it shreds and falls apart isn't the ship. So we had two of those, one towards the front, one towards the back. One was the the one towards the front or the bow was on the starboard side. The one back was on the port side. And then you had the flight deck, and behind the flight deck was the basic point defense missile system or Bepedemus, which launched Sea Sparrows at aircraft targets. All right, but again, it was kind of a last ditch kind of a thing that you know wasn't wasn't meant for anti-air. It was meant for defense, basic point defense. So, and then another five-inch gun for their anti-ship missions. Well. The Kid-class destroyers were supposed to have anti-air capability. So instead of an ASROC launcher on the front and the Sea Sparrow launcher on the back, they had two what were, were called standard missile launchers. And the standard missiles were... The standard missile launchers looked like two fingers pointing the air. They were missile rails. And beneath them were these little, little hatches that would flip open. And these rails would pop open. They could put missiles on them. They could put Sea Sparrow's on them. They could put standard missiles on them. SM2s, uh, SM3s, and SM3s, which shot down that satellite recently. So, SM2s, uh, any mix of stuff that was able to be capable to be launched, even ASROCs or torpedoes. Well, ASROC, an ISR rocket is a torpedo with a rocket motor on the back, so it throws the torpedo farther, hits the water, and then the torpedo does standard torpedo stuff. But anyway, so these standard missile launchers instead of the other things. That was what, Simper, and they and they had an anti-air radar uh, or better anti-air radar or better air search radar, let me put it that way. A better air search radar than your standard Spruance class destroyer was equipped with. So anyway, out on this little thing, this little jaunt, they did a, uh, a demonstration of the standard missile launcher. You know, they didn't launch anything, but it looks pretty cool when the when the, the fingers are, like, pointed at the, you know, they're horizontal and pointed at the horizon, and they whip around, point straight up, and these two missiles zoom out of the floor and get on there, and then they bend back down and start tracking an imaginary aircraft. It looks looks pretty cool. And all the while, you know, I'm answering bazillion questions about our little helicopter and all the things it can and can't do. Ah, fun times. All right, so after Fleet Week was over, we... Left for Hawaii. We sailed for the next couple of weeks to Hawaii. We pulled into Hawaii, I want to say, like the 30th, the 29th, the 30th of October. We were in Hawaii for Halloween. and It was also decided that we would man the rails pulling into Pearl Harbor, this time in Whites. And it was also decided that we needed to clean the flight deck. And the funny thing was, we'd only been on the ship a month. <laughs> You know, October first to the near October, we've flown a we've flown a lot, almost ten hours a day, every day we were at sea, and there's already splotches of grease and dirt and whatever. So we we were told that when we pull into Pearl, we would have to scrub and clean the flight deck before we would be allowed to go on liberty, hit the shore, right? And you know, we had flown that night and it was decided that, you know what, screw it. We're going to stay up all night long. <laughs> we're going to scrub the flight deck uh, under the cover of dark. night. we had the lights on, but, you know, scrub the flight deck. And then uh, when we would then change into our dress whites, man the rails, pull into, when we were moored and Liberty Call came, we'd be able to leave right then instead of have to. Because the other choice would have been to go to sleep, get up put on our dress uniform, man the rails, because we had to man the rails by 6.30, I think, that day. For the whole, you know, pull into Pearl thing, go back, change back into working clothes, scrub the flight deck, then get off work. So we decided to step on night. We had a fun time. We were in Hawaii only for two, we were in port for only two days, I want to say. Two? I, I want to say two days. And it was two days of drunkenness, pretty much. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, we discovered we discovered the Halikoa Hotel. The Halikoa Hotel is a hotel r- run by the Army for military personnel. And it's on an open, what's called an open army reservation. on Waikiki Beach, okay? It's in between the Don Hole Place, the, the Hilton the Hawaiian, Hawaiian Hilton, whatever. Yeah, it's right there. And they have a barefoot bar. That's what we liked. Which, you know, in the mid-80s. It was a big deal to walk up to a bar, I guess, in your swim trunks. As long as you had money, you could buy whatever. And they had this, they had this choice of like eight slushy drinks. You know, Blue Hawaiians, Passionate Monkey. I don't know, crazy street uh, pina coladas, or the vodka equivalent of pina colada called a Chichi. Uh, so we'd sit there and we would drink these things, and uh, you know. We'd meet there in the afternoon. Do our day stuff during the day, whatever, and we'd meet there in the afternoon. And you know, by the time everyone was there, well, the smart ones bought the early rounds, right? Because if there's only four of you, you're spending twenty bucks, five bucks a drink. And then when it the, when it comes time for your turn, you know, whoever showed up next, it was their turn to buy. All right, so the last guy showed up; he's buying drinks for everybody before it gets back to you. Hey. So by that time, you've had eight or nine, and you're Three sheets of the wind doesn't matter. Um, So after after some time in Pearl, was before I think it was before we got to Pearl that we did some stuff on the ASW range, ASW anti-submarine warfare. Uh, We did some practice anti-submarine warfare work, and then we went into Pearl, and then we left Pearl and went back to do some more anti-submarine warfare work. As a matter of fact, I was flying on election day in 1984. That first Monday, or that first Tuesday after the first day of, first Tuesday after the first Monday in November of 1984, I was flying. I was. We were in the ASW range practicing whatever, flying, while the election was going on between Ronald Reagan and Walter Mondale. You know, the one that was a landslide for good old Ronnie. And I remember the, the, our controller was calling us while we were flying with updates every so often. It was kind of cool. So after some more days at the anti-summer warfare range, we went back to San, Die- uh, San Diego. We got to San Diego middle of November. So we were gone six weeks. We are back just in time to, you know, for Thanksgiving. Um, in the first or second week of December, we went out for like six days. That was one of those short cruises where you never left the side of land. <laughs> at one point, we anchored We anchored right there off the coast, of, off the Silver Strand. I mean, <laughs> right there, you know, like half a mile from, from San Diego on the boat. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. And then there was Christmas and New Year's. And then the next short cruise we went on before our deployment at the end of February was uh, late January. Two weeks this time. Remember, we had a Super Bowl pool. I think we, we missed the Super Bowl that year because we were floating. Um, oh, and this was also the time that we my squadron lost an aircraft. Debt 9, because you know, we formed up in September because we're leaving in February. Debt 9, the next debt to form up, had formed up, I want to say, in December and uh, they were going to leave, you know, a couple few months after us, springtime. And this was like their first short cruise on their ship. And the two the two air crewmen on that ship, on that detachment, were guys I had known well. One of them was in my, he was in my air crew school class. He was in my AWA school class. He was in my SAR school class. I went to SEER school with him. And he ended up in HSL 33 with me. And the other guy was, he was like a couple few weeks behind us in A school. They're both named Mike. And they're both from Hawaii. And they had lots of common interests. And I remember, (laughs) they were into karate too. That was kind of funny. The reason it's funny is because the Mike that was in school with me for everything he was kind of a cut up clown kind of a guy and and he was into karate and I remember I was on duty at A school while I was walking on the floor and I look in this room and there's a dude doing chair push ups right? His feet on a chair his arms on chairs and doing push ups so his hands are going above his head and I'm like oh you're into this stuff too and there's another guy that I know that's into the, that kind of martial arts. because I see him doing these same push ups or oh, really what's his name and i you know his name is Mike here, and he's in this room. Maybe you can. He's in class with me. We're in class. Um, you know, 83041 You know, you guys should. I don't. know, Maybe you have a common interest or whatever, right? So they they met, and they became fast friends, you know, buddies to the point where they they were able to arrange to go on deployment together. Well, here it is into January. It's nighttime. Um we come we our debt was flying we come back, and as we're putting the aircraft to bed um we get word that an h two like ours has has crashed, and we thought it was in the the no one knew what squadron it was from, and we thought it was the other h two in our battle group. i uh, you know this was not where the whole battle group was. Doing a short cruise like the six-week trip to San Francisco, Hawaii. This is just our ship or a couple of few ships practicing different things. And, you know, I at that point, I had no idea. We had no idea that it was our own squadron uh, aircraft. We thought it was such a squadron aircraft from our battle group as opposed to somebody else. All right. We went to bed and I remember being woken up at one or two in the morning by our maintenance officer and... You know, make, hey, are you up? Are you up? Mike, are you up? You know, and I wake up, yeah, what's up? You know, it wasn't HSL-35 aircraft that crashed. It was one of ours. And out of the four people on the aircraft, two, two, one's missing, presumed dead. The other's dead, and the other two made it. Well, wouldn't you know it that the one missing, presumed dead, was... The second Mike, the the junior of the two crewmen, the two guys who lived were on the left side of the aircraft when it hit the water, which is my friend Mike, who was able to get out right there, and the co-pilot get out. The pilot, they recovered his body. The second Mike never, at that, as far as I know, back then his body was never recovered, missing, presumed dead, and. The senior Mike, he came. He came to stay with me in my place, uh, cause I, you know, we came back from short cruise right after that. He came back when he was released in the hospital. He has to come, cause we live kind of farther away. He didn't want to be around too many people. He wanted to be around people he knew. He came to our my house and hung out. And you know, to hear him tell the story that when the aircraft impacted the water, it's dark. You know, the lights go out. He reached over because it, there's a way to... S- the seating inside this helicopter is that there's a the regular crew seat and there's a place for what they call an instructor seat to be bolted kind of to the floor. So even though the junior Mike, he was sitting in the instructor seat. And so the aircraft at the water, the senior Mike, reached over to see if he was still there and, he, and the space was empty. So the nearest they could tell is that the seat... At the impact came free from the floor and impacted the bulkhead. There would have been, you know, like four feet in front of him. That's only supposition because, you know, again, nobody recovered or whatever. And I, and I only tell this story because I wanted, uh, you know, I, I, this isn't all fun and games. <laughs> you know, we, we have a lot of fun and we're doing a fun job. Flying is fun, but we lost we lost people to training accidents, to aircraft aircraft falling apart. You know, bad things happened. It wasn't all fun and games. And I, you know, I just want to kind of give a balance to the, the fun stories I tell to to you know make sure that there's still some reality in there. And um, when the memorial service came. For the junior Mike the ship that they're flying off of sent a bunch of people to the memorial service um, which we all thought was a nice gesture that, that, that the short time he'd been on the ship that those guys knew him well enough to want to come and be part of his memorial service it was pretty sad alright so that's that's working up to deployments about those are called workups three four short cruises maybe less we had three we had a like i said a six week one a six day one and a two week one and the six day one and the two week one were, were we did things that you would expect when you would get ready for deployment abandoned ship drill things and we try to do our part we even did a ship uh we even took our ship's portrait, I want to say. No, I think that was when we first deployed. Never mind. That came later. Um, but yeah, it was all getting ready to go. It was getting ready for the big the big thing where, uh, in February, where we would leave as a battle group and be gone for six months and we'd make our various stops or whatever. All right, now I'm thinking that I've forgotten some things. I don't want to get into... The the real deployment just yet. I I'll, I think it's important to go over how we get ready for deployment and and we talk about short cruise Hawaii. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think this will have to do do it. I'll, I'll pick up on uh, the next show. I'll pick up where we leave for our six month west pack. Okay. So that means right now I'm going to st- issue the standard requests for feedback, iTunes feedback. I suspect that a lot of you have found the show via iTunes, so you can leave feedback there. You can send me an email, navalaircrew at gmail.com. There's a couple of you that have sent me email. I still owe you replies. I'll get to that next as soon as I mix this show together and post it and everything I'll get your uh, I'll get back to you guys. Please bear with me. Um, and you can also there's some forums at navalair.net. That's the website where you get these podcasts from. There's some forums there where you can sign in and leave feedback there as well. And I wanted to uh, say thank you for your patience. I should uh, I recorded a show, this show 2 weeks ago, but there was some problem with the equipment and it sounded bad. It was it was almost like the microphone was over cranked or something and every time I talked it would it would clip and it would you would get a little bit of static as well so it didn't sound bad it didn't sound bad it didn't sound good it sounded cr- like crap and I have short windows to get these things recorded and posted so um so there you go so you, you know where to send me e- feedback I appreciate any and all feedback uh I apologize for the extra two weeks to get the next show on the road. Uh, I do have I do have a couple more shows and then we're going to start getting other people's experiences out here for you guys to uh, listen to and understand how things happen in different eras and epochs as well. So that's going to do it for me for this episode. I'm going to sign off now. Take care and God bless.